Good morning, everybody. I was hoping Wayne didn't drink out of my glass. <laughs> you can see how much Mr. McNary's changed since he's been around me. He's actually funny. <clears throat> I'd even, I didn't even know he could laugh until he was up here. Well, it won't be Walmart. It'll be food stamps. You know, they paid me in food stamps, so that's what we will issue to all of you who will be here in the morning services. Now, this morning, as we were leaving the church, and I believe our neighbors were peeping out the window, said, finally, we convinced those leaks to go to church on Sunday. That we are Sunday keepers. So they've been trying to do that from time to time. I found out I was a minister keeping the Sabbath. All they do is just wave. They never just wave at me and like, bye, you know, instead of come here, bye. Now this day, as we understand, is something we're blessed with to understand what this day is all about. My neighbor asked me one time, what did we believe in? I said, we believe in the Bible. He said, so do we. I said, oh, that's good, you know. And you kept asking and narrowing it down and, you know, what we believe in, what we believe in, what we believe in. And finally, when it came to Sabbath day, for some reason, they didn't believe in that, in which most of us didn't when we were first called and understand that. I remember one time on the way to Chattanooga for services, my wife has to stop at every rest stop. I think you understand that. It's a long way with... She has to use the bathroom, so I was waiting in the car, and this individual came out and says, uh, Do you know my Jesus? I said, I don't believe I do. <laughs> so, so I asked him, What does he look like? And he couldn't describe him, so I don't believe I ever met his Jesus at all. But when you think about how easy it easy it is to be converted in Catholicism and Protestantism, it doesn't take any effort at all. I remember hearing the story about this one individual who's a Baptist who lived in this all-Catholic community. And so at that time, they had what you call Meatless Friday. So this Baptist, every Friday evening, would go out and grill venison. And of course, that grill, that venison permeated that smell all through the community, and it was such a temptation to all these Catholics that went to the priest and said, you've got to do something with old Joe. You've got to convert him to Catholicism. So the priest visited Joe and, and said, how would you like to become a Catholic? He said, what do I have to do? He said, well, have a few lessons and then we'll take care of you. So after he finished his lessons, the priest got out his hole of water and said, Joe, you were born a Baptist, you're Baptist, but now you are a Catholic. So he thought that was easy, you know, it was pretty easy. Then the next Friday evening, again, he went out cooking this meat, and it upset that community, so they went to the priest, said, I thought you converted him to Catholicism. He said, I did. He said, why is he cooking meat on Friday? So the priest was angry. He got his rosary. He went over to Joe, and he saw Joe saying, 
You were born a deer. You live as a deer, but now you're a catfish. <laughs> so, so you see how easy it is to be, become a Catholic or Protestant in these situations. Now, Dr. Winnell asked me, he said, what are you going to cover today? I said, from Genesis to Revelation, I'll leave you the book of Lamentation. So, and usually that's what happens when you cover everything. But today, brethren, there are millions and millions and millions of people attending church at probably at this very moment. They have no idea at all who God is, what God is, the God's purpose for them. They're usually miserable. They have to go through all these rituals. You know, all these rituals, all the crossing, you know, cross here and cross there. And I wonder if Christ had been shot with a shotgun, what would they have done? See? Pow, you know, pow. Instead of crossing themselves, and they go through these rituals and they don't quite understand. And uh, they think we're crazy. They think we're crazy simply because uh, we don't keep their traditions at all. And we need to be thankful that God has called us, as we sit here in His divine presence, understanding who He is, what He is, as we've been taught, and praying to the God that's going to save all of us from this horrible time that lies ahead of us. And we need to be thankful for that. But this day is really a high day, a day that you get high on, on high God's Spirit. I came here so excited this morning, I thought I was singing my sermon. Now, I sing by letter. That's open your mouth and let her go. So that's, a, that's the best way, best way to sing to everybody. And, but I have a 15-minute sermon in an hour and a half time. Now, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do for the other 45 minutes, but maybe we'll figure out something like that. So this is a special day for special people. We are special to God, and God has to be special to us. He is special to us because He's blessed us in so many ways. He's healed our sicknesses, as we heard how He intervened for the lady yesterday. And we can go to this God who is special to us and tell Him He is special to us. And we need to always keep that in mind because this day is different from yesterday. And you can tell the difference today than yesterday, like yesterday was different from Friday. The annual Holy Day is different from all other Sabbaths. And you can usually feel that or tell that as you walk in the auditorium. It seems like more of God's Spirit is here today. Or maybe we're more spiritually minded that we brought in more of God's Spirit. You know, as we come through the door, if we have God's Spirit, it's here. And we that's why that we are God's people and understand that. Now, my wife and I have... This will be our 47th Pentecost. And our first meeting was back in 1963. It just seems like yesterday when you think about it. You wonder where does time go? See, Time like that. All the people we knew, people who came in with us, are no longer. Some are dead. Some left the church. But they forgot about Pentecost. What it means. What Pentecost means. They forgot about that. And so they went their own way. And, and it is a privilege to be on here on Pentecost, because James asked the question, what is your life? See? Have you ever thought about that? you ever meditate 
meditate on your life, what it is, why you exist, why you were called at this present time, why your minds are open to the truth. He said life is like a vapor. It appeareth for a little while and it vanishes. Now, the other day I was watching a coffee pot, you know, how it percolates and you see the steam rises. And I thought, well, that's the way life is. It's just here momentarily. It's like yesterday that we can't go back and live yesterday. All the mistakes we made yesterday, we can't go back and correct them. And we can't live tomorrow because tomorrow's not here. Today is important. Today, if you hear the voice of God, harden not your hearts. See, that's the day. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, but today. God has called us and helping us to understand that we are a special, special selected people to be the first fruits, the firstborn on the ground floor of His government, and that's forever. It's not temporary. It's something that we have earned as God's Christians. We have earned those positions. Not the gift of eternal life. That is a gift. So you, cannot, so you can enjoy your position forever and ever. So we have something to work toward. If we can remember life. That we're all going to die. It's appointed to die. We can't stop it. We cannot stop the aging process. Even though people try to look young. You know, with Botox, and you've seen certain women, you know, look young, but their neck looks like 100 years old. <laughs> so they have to wear a turtleneck. <laughs> I've seen them so that they couldn't even smile, you know. Couldn't even. You ever seen Phyllis Dillard? Some of you know her. I'm, I've seen her, and she is ugly. <laughs> and she, come, she made herself uglier by, you know, by that Botox or whatever it was. But you see, the mind really doesn't grow old. It's just the body you can't stop. You can't stop it from deteriorating. And we understand that. We take vitamins, we eat this, we eat that, and we still get sick. And we blame it on the vitamins. So the doctor then, he indoctrinates you with all these things, so you can't eat anything. If you can't eat anything, you'll die quicker. See? You don't have to worry about it. But you see, life is such, such precious, it's a precious gift to mankind. And man then will do anything to extend his life. I've seen them on breathing machines. I've had to go in when someone was actually dead and watch them to take the machine off and see them take their last breath. Because they wanted to keep their son or their husband alive, you see. It's hard to give up life. And even though we suffer, we still want to live. And when we suffer for God's sake, His way, it makes us happy. If we suffer for our own mistakes, then we suffer for that. And aren't you thankful, brethren, that God has given you a choice? And Ms. Lenz and I talk about that quite a bit. A choice that nobody can take away from you. And that's a power, that's a power to make decisions. A power of choice. And we make our decisions or our choices. No one influences us. We decide that. And if we make a bad decision, we blame somebody else, don't we? Somebody else's fault. Someone else did this. Somebody else said that. And so we become depressed, you know, angry. And sometimes that can lead into hate and jealousy by blaming somebody else. Because we like to live in the past. See, we like to think about our hurts in the past. 
instead of realizing what God has for us in the future. If we always think about the future, that we're future-oriented people, we look forward to the next Sabbath. I'm sure our young people can't wait for the next Sabbath, you see. We're always looking ahead for the feast, making plans for the feast, where you want to go. We never look back. We go forward. And that's what God is, wants us to understand. Now, one day I was conducted a, a youth Bible study, and one of the young men asked me a question. He said, Mr. League, what's in the church for me? See? What's in the church for me? What can I get out of the church? What is the church going to get me? So I'd like to ask you a serious question today. What does this day mean to you? See? Literally mean to you. See? And we have to ponder that question. You know, I asked myself that question yesterday about Pentecost. It's just another holy day. It's just another Pentecost. And it really doesn't mean all that much to me. Well, what is the true meaning of today for me personally? See? So I answered the young man's question. I said, well, the church, there is life. It teaches you how to live abundantly. It gives you instructions on life itself. And not only that, but it's a training ground for the, to be a king and a priest. We have never been a priest. I've never been a king, so I don't know what it's like. But I have to have the knowledge. I have to have the experience. I have to learn to be merciful. I have to learn to forgive like Christ did. If I'm ever going to be a priest or if I'm ever going to be a king, we have to be like Christ, who is the first of our, you know, the first fruits. And we're to be like Him. Now, sometimes it's hard to forgive somebody when they've hurt you deeply. Very hard to love your enemy. Very difficult to love an enemy. It's very difficult to pray for those who despitefully use you. Very difficult because we like the past. See, We like that. We live in the past. But we have to come out of the future. That's what this day pictures to us, coming out of the future and understanding that. So I went on to explain, after you can become a leader in the family of God, and after that, you see, there's no more sickness, there's no, no more sorrow, there's no more pain. The former things have passed away. And that's what this day means that to us as well. Also, it tells us that this is not the only day of salvation, that there's coming a great harvest. This is the spring harvest. It ends the spring harvest as well. Now, one of the brethren brought me the other day a tomato. It's the first fruit, first one to ripen on the vine, and it tastes good, about that big. <laughs> but <laughs> I was hoping be, you know, first fruit. But he, he chose to do that, and now he could go out and get the rest of the tomatoes. But you see, that was just the first ripened tomato. The rest of them may be a little green. See, Christ was the first ripened. The rest of us may be a little green, but we're on the same vine, say, the same vine of Christ and as, we, as we go forward you know, in our life. So this third step, as we're here celebrating it today in God's plan, is to build His family. God has always wanted a family, just like we've always wanted a family. God has always wanted that, and Satan knew that. And so what did Satan do? Well, he destroyed the first family, Adam and Eve. He destroyed them so God can have a family. Now you see we are his family. 
And there are no unwanted children in his family. God has carefully selected each one of us. Carefully selected. The Father did. So we could be his sons in the kingdom of God. So we are a miracle begotten child, if we want to say that. We are begotten, waiting for the resurrection that we may share in his wealth, his power, his glory, and that's forever. Think about how rich Christ is, what he inherited. And we are heirs to all of that, eventually, that we will be in God's kingdom, and that is forever on the ground floor. God called a bunch of nobodies to make something out of us, to create something in us that would be forever and ever and ever. So we understand we were nothing when God called us. We say, well, why did God call me? Well, we don't know. Only God knows. See, He knows why He called you and why He called me. We're all different, aren't we? I bet if we were out in the world, we wouldn't even be speaking to each other. <laughs> we wouldn't be friends. So you see, we're brought together, oddballs and strangers with you know different habits and different voices and this and that. We get on each other's nerves. And that way we have to learn to pray for my brother. I am the keeper of <laughs> my brother. And sometimes it's painful, you know, to do that. But we are to help each other as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That we are to take time and we are to visit each other. We are to talk to each other. Now, I was teasing some of the brethren here. I said, you look, you're becoming like a computer. You delete your emotions. That you need to look out the window occasionally. Need to look at the birds out there occasionally. Need to look at the geese in case we're locked up here. At least we have food, you know. <laughs> like I saw two coming walking this morning. Now, if they could talk, they said, let's get out of here. It comes out living church of God again. So run over, you know, get run over. But we understand that we're here to get meat. I'm talking about meat in due season. And this is the season for that meat to remind us who we are in our future and what lies ahead for us and come out of this old past and go forward. And we have a tremendous opportunity here, all of us here, to be a light to all the other churches out there. Every church out there is usually pointed to headquarters. And the way we treat people and the example we set goes a long way when you go back to your job out there in Chattanooga, Nashville, Memphis, and some houses, you know, they only have about eight or nine people there. And we just take them for granted maybe sometimes, but they're enduring a lot of times. They watch the, you know, the film or the sermon, and they fellowship together. And so we understand how important it is. Let's turn to Second Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. And here's Paul's admonition to Timothy. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a powerful statement. I charge you before God and Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and all at His appearing and His kingdom. 
And the Bible also says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A fearful thing to do that. And God is now, we're being judged for our position in the kingdom of God. What if we don't qualify? There is no life. What if we are rejected because we didn't care out carry out our mission like Saul? What if we deviate from that mission? What if we try to change that mission? Would God still accept us, trust us with that kind of power and wealth forever and ever? Trust is vital. We prove to God that we can be trusted. We prove to God that we can keep His Word. Now, I've often said, I listen to the prayer. And I'm very careful if I say amen. If the prayer is, help us to understand, which means then, that's what I want. So I watch my mind that's not like a grasshopper. Jumps over here, jumps over there, jumps over there, you see. I've asked God, I've amen something, amen something, so be it. Let me hear what is being spoken. Let me understand that. Let me increase my faith. See, Give me more love. The other night in the Bible study, I mentioned that. You know, we ask God for love. And uh, he said, I'll give it to you, but what are you going to do with it? See, We have to convince him that we will do something with his love. Well, I need to love old Joe. I need love. And we put forth effort then, and, and the love is there. And it covers whatever mistakes Joe might have made. At least it gives me peace or it gives you peace because judgment is on all of us right now. Our word means a lot to God. Our prayers mean a lot to God, you see. You know, we don't use God like a spare tire. And the only time you think about a spare tire is when you have a flat. Then you're hoping that tire is inflated. So sometimes, you see, brethren, we have to be prepared, uh, be prepared for emergencies out there because we don't really know what lies ahead for us. And we know that God is the one who is the powerful one that can help us. So he was instructed to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. See, preach that word. Tell my people who they are. Remind them every Sabbath, every Sabbath day, who they are, what their position is going to be. They have to be reminded or they will forget. You see, look how many people have already forgotten. Look how many people have already gone back to this day of worship. At one time set on Pentecost, but they forgot it. It's easy to forget something unless we are reminded of it. We have to constantly review what we want to remember. And we can't remember what we have forgotten. Have you ever tried to remember something you've forgotten? Somebody said, do you believe in hereafter? I said, I surely do. Every time I go upstairs, I ask the question, what am I hereafter? <laughs> I heard about this one lady who was in the middle of the stairs. She said, am I going up or coming down? So, so you know, you know, you're in some trouble like that. But he says, we have to convince. We have to sell the job. A minister is a salesman, as Mr. Armstrong always taught. You have to sell what you believe, see. And you know, you can, a salesman is excited. He wants to sell you something, how excited. But they lie a little bit, you know, to get you to buy. But we have to sell. 
we have to rebuke at times, and we have to be rebuked. We have to be corrected because we might jump track there for a little while, and we understand that. And it's tough to take correction. But all through the Scriptures, God's people that He chose ask for correction. That's what David asked for. Even though it was painful, that's what Paul asked for. It was painful, but he asked for correction. And God gave him correction in the right way so he could reach his full potential of what God had called him to be in that, in that era. So we exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, you see. And that's talking about us. I don't think it's talking about the Catholic Church out here. They haven't been called. Will not endure something that is sound. And God, as we heard yesterday, has given us a sound mind, a loving mind, you see, a loving, sound mind that is sound. And as we grow in that understanding, our minds become more sound. And we sound the truth uh, when we talk. People understand that. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. And just think about that. Own desires will draw people after them. And we've seen that, sadly. We've seen that because people forgot this day. They forgot who is the door. They forgot who is the Savior. They forgot who is in charge of the church. See? The door. You can't go around Christ. You have to go through the door to get to the Father. And people have forgotten that. To go outside or climb in some other way, as Jesus said, that we all have to remember Christ is the door. And He, we have to go through the door to get to the Father. And as, as He said, and I'm a firm believer that I had nothing to do with my calling. But God selected me and he drew me by the truth. You know, when you were first bitten by the truth, you couldn't put it down. You studied day and night. You were one big mouth. And people used to see me coming down the street, and they'd cross over. <laughs> I couldn't hold it in. You know, I just want to talk about it all the time. Talk about it. It's like a baby with a sword. I had that sword. We believe in this. Oh, you know, and they'd cut, I'd cut my family up, uh, my sisters and brothers, they hated to see me coming. But one thing they like, did like to hear me say about that second resurrection, tell me about that resurrection again. <laughs> you know, they realized they weren't going to hell and burning forever, and so they liked that part, you know, that part of it. But this itching ears, where you get away from Christ, that we have to feed on Christ. He is the first to be born. He is the first one, you see. And if we're going to be in that family, we have to be like Christ, not like somebody else. We have to learn God's lifestyle, not somebody else's lifestyle, not the Beatles' lifestyle, not Elvis Presley's lifestyle, but God's lifestyle. If we're going to live with Him forever, we have to know how He lives. If He can trust us in that lifestyle, see, and also, we have to have His thoughts injected into our minds by the Holy Spirit. And that's the way His thoughts come into our mind, through the Holy Spirit. And the more we ask for it to be like God, the more we become like Him, that we walk with Him in a perfect way, see? 
Abraham walked with him in a perfect way. As long as we're walking with God, he considers us his sons. And perfect, mature, just need this body changed. That's all we need. The mind is already being changed, the spirit. The body, the body is what needs to be changed. And I think we've grown to get out of this body. And so we can have the mind of Christ. But the time, he said, will come. The time. So there are appointed times, I believe, set times that causes people to make certain decisions. There has to be almost a set time for the layout of sin attitude. A set time of prosperity, of independence. That, you know, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm my own man. A set time for something like that. It was a set time for the Philadelphia church to be raised up. There was a set time, you see. That time had come. And Mr. Armstrong was raised up to tell us who we are, who God is, what God is, His plan. So we can teach it. We can teach the same plan to others as we have that opportunity. But there was a set time when God called him, and there was a set time before we ever allowed Ambassador to college to, you know, to flourish. There was a set time when we just had all this money coming in. It might have turned our heads, see. And sometimes it's easy to forget God when we're prospering. Now, it's not easy to get God, forget God when you're hungry or in poverty. It's only the riches of the world can turn our heads. And we forget about the true riches of God, what are His true riches, His mercy, His love, His forgiveness, are the true riches of God. Wealth, you know, in that. So we have to understand that. Let's turn back to Leviticus, Levit Leviticus chapter 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 1, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Now you see, brethren, we remember Pentecost. But it, do we remember to keep it holy? See, To keep it holy. Now we can remember the Sabbath, but do we remember what God says to do with it? To keep it holy. That's what we have to remember. God is holy. See, He's holy, and we have to become holy. So He's give the, given us these set times to do that in. Today is a holy day. We're God's holy people. Think about that combination. God's Sabbath, Pentecost, God's people. What a combination that is. That we know the true God. We understand the true God. Our purpose in Him. We love Him. We pray to Him. We worship Him. We praise Him. As Mr. Ames said not long ago, you know, you just say, uh, thank, 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 thank you. Because when you have that closeness with God, you understand you want to thank Him. But the key is we cannot live in the past. See, we have to come out of the past. Now, it's easy to stay in the past. But when we stay in the past, it depresses us. So God has given us this day because tomorrow never comes, right? Monday will be the day and Tuesday will be the day that we can learn to put into practice what we hear in sermons. 
If we don't put them into practice, what good are they? You know? If we already know it, what good are they? I mean, we're not telling you anything you don't already know. But if we don't heed that word, what good is the word to us? The word is to save us. We have to be saved by that word. Saved by the gospel of the kingdom of God. Saved by that gospel. We love that message as a witness to the world out there. That Jesus Christ is the head. He's the Savior. If we do what we are supposed to do in preaching the gospel as a witness to this world, as He commanded us, He will save us in the end. That's what He promises us. A reward is at the end if we do what He has asked us to do. And if we do it. So six days you talk about, you know, work is to be done. A solemn rest. A holy convocation. Then verse 4, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. There is a set time, you see, for each annual Sabbath. A set time for each feast. It cannot be altered. cannot be changed. Jesus knew exactly when Pentecost would be. He knew exactly when the Passover would be. He kept it on the 14th. He knew exactly. He created it. He knows exactly about Sunday. Which Sunday, you know? Now, when I first started coming to church, we kept Monday. It was Monday there. So we'd play ball on Sunday, keep Pentecost on Monday. And a lot of people, when they changed it back, would let go of it. They lived in the past, you see. They couldn't turn loose of the past. And so consequently, they, you know, they, well, God will be, their judge like He's our judge. You know, He's merciful. So what we want to remember, we have to constantly review it. Just like if you're going to college, you've got to review the lessons. You've got to review it for the test. We have to constantly be reminded, brethren, who we are. If not, we'll forget it. Constantly reminded of that. Uh, that we are God's people. Now, in Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews 2, verse 1, Therefore, we Christians must give the more earnest heed that we have to be careful. We have to pay attention to what is written and what is said. Earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through by angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedient received a just reward, how shall we Christians... Escape if we neglect or get careless or disagree. See, so great a salvation, which was uh, at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to those by those who heard Him. So the key is that we carefully listen to what God has to say and reverence Him. Now, when I was growing up, they'd have a big Bible, you know, it looked like it's about three feet wide. And always have it open on the table. And you, you are afraid of that Bible. And you, you would always watch your language, you know, when you go in. 
Because that Bible, you know, was spooky. There was a big Bible over there, and I thought, well, God's listening to every word. He better be careful what we say. But sometimes, you see, I wonder if we really have that godly fear of the Bible. See, that we take it for granted, like reading a history book or reading, you know, some other book. The Bible is the book of life. It is our life. But we have to extract these words off this page here and live them, see? We, we make them live. And we become that witness that God has said we should be by living the Word of God as we take it from this pages here and live that in uh, that way of life. So the first fruits are to become kings and priests. But we must learn, brethren, to live a way of life if we never learn that way of life, how could we ever teach that way of life? If you never learn it. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. How can we learn to teach something if we never experienced it? So he wants us to experience what he's experienced so we can teach that. Some of us go through certain trials so we can help others come through those trials. And we all learn by suffering. We suffer as a Christian, hopefully for righteousness' sake, but we must learn to teach. How could I ever become an engineer if I never learn? And learn, learning is doing, is putting it into practice, and you know it works. So you know that works. I've been doing a Bible study on that you can taste God's Word. And there's several scriptures about that. You can taste it. And also, you can taste a bad attitude, can't you? You can be around negative people and say, Boy, that left a bad taste in my mind. You taste it. See? A bad taste. Or you can taste the good Word of God. And it brings out in Hebrews chapter 6, after you have tasted, tasted the good Word of God. When you go to the Feast of Tabernacles, you begin to taste that good Word of God, and you hate to leave it. See? Now, I'm not talking about like food, you know, or coffee, but it's that good Word of God. Somebody one time told me, he said, well, Mr. League, you don't have all the truth. I said, well, who has the rest of it? <laughs> you know, that's what I want is the truth. Okay? If you just tell me who has the rest of it, I'll go to that individual. But uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's what people think about us sometimes. In 1 Peter chapter 1, First Peter 1, chosen, Peter said, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Does that mean then God studied you? Did he know you in the womb? Did he know the sperm? Did he have control? He knew Jeremiah in the womb, didn't he? He knew he was going to call the Apostle Paul. He knew the Apostle Paul would be faithful to the end through all of his trials and tribulations. He knew that. He said, uh, you know, that Paul was going to have to suffer. He knew that. Has God put something in us that we know, that we've been called we know that we know we know that we know we're going to be in His resurrection if we died right now. Do you know that, brethren, that you would be in the resurrection 
if you died now? We have to know that we know that we know. See, as we, uh, as we live this life, as James said, what is this life? There's no such thing as a deathbed repentance anymore. No such things. The Protestants teach that, but we have to know God. We have to know that we know we know. Say God. And not just hope. You know, I hope I'm all right. I'm hope this. You have to know it. And sometimes I think we're afraid to say, I know that God loves me. I know that I'm going to be in His family. I know that because He's chosen me to be. So He's chosen me for that. I didn't choose God. He chose me. See, I wasn't looking for God. I was just satisfied playing sports. See, And I'll tell you, brethren, I'm glad I didn't know what I was going to have to go through <laughs> when, I, when I accepted the call. See, I had no idea what I was going to have to go through. But it's been good for us. You know, it's been good to go through some of these trials that we t- where God tests us and see if we're going to be faithful. And remain faithful through all, you know, when you're mistreated or whatever. Will you remain faithful, loyal to Him? See. So, elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. And if the foreknowledge is where He had to study you, He had to see you, see, on a certain circumstance. I bet if you go back and look the time you were born, how God more or less helped you through life and the breaks you had and the training you had and responsibility you had. It seems like every job I have ever been given, God gave it to me. With no knowledge of it, He gave it to me. He was guiding me for some reason. Guiding me and helping me. He's giving me the breaks through life. Then I claim no credit for it. I know when I went to the boy in 1964, they had a big recession in Huntsville. And uh, the Boeing Company, they were going to put a man on the moon by 1969. Notice John F. Kennedy said that. So the Boeing Company came in, and there's a skeleton crew, and they were hiring local people. And somehow somebody called me, of all things. Called me and asked me, would I come in for an interview? So uh, I went in, and the job was for procurement, for procurement. And I had never bought anything but a loaf of bread. (laughs) Didn't know how to buy that. So we were sitting there, this uh, guy from Seattle, and he he said, well, you know, he's just talking. He said, "Uh, well, you've got to have a college education for this job. I said, well, I don't have one. I have some college. I, I just don't have one. He said, well, we can't hire you. You know, it's... And uh, I thought, well, why did they call me in? I wasn't seeking at that time a job. Then all of a sudden, his something like that. He said, you know what? I'm going to take a chance on you. See? <laughs> and so they hired me on the spot, and I had no experience. I didn't have the educational degree they wanted in that. And so, see, I knew that God gave me that. And He gave me favor and put in my mind how to purchase things. I mean, talking about things had to be, they had to be right to put the man on the moon. See, That had to be purchased. And so one time I had purchased this part for the swing arms. Just a small part. Swing arms. And that was 
going to be the shot for the moon. And so I, he said, where's that part? I said, well, the company out Sun Valley said uh, they haven't started that part. And they panic. So they sent me out of 4,000 employees, engineers and general managers, they sent me. Now, I had prayed because I always wanted to see Ambassador College. See? And so this man met me at the airport, or car, I went. He said, well, what we're going to do is, let, let's, I'll take you out tonight and tomorrow we go out and play some golf. I said, I said, when I leave here Friday, that was on Monday, when I leave here Friday, I'll have that part in my suitcase. He said, that's impossible. But we had the power back then. If they took any contract from the government, we could shut them down. And so uh, he said, it's impossible because you have to have a Boeing inspector, have to have a NASA inspector for that part. So I called back to the boss there, and Von Braun got involved in that. Got involved. Now, you can't tell me that God did not have something to do with that. So when I left that Friday afternoon, by the way, I did get to go see the ambassador to college. I left that Friday afternoon, and my suitcase was that part. They worked 24 hours a day to get that part. So we were flying into Atlanta, and there was a big storm there that Friday afternoon. I was trying to get home before the Sabbath, which we did. But then from Huntsville, we, we took off in Atlanta, and the plane was going up, and all of a sudden you felt it coming down. People started screaming, and the plane caught and went on. So I got the part back, and my boss said, do you have any trouble? I said, well, a little bit, not much. Coming out of Atlanta, I thought we were going to crash. <laughs> but I wasn't worried about myself. I was worried about that part. <laughs> but if you look your life, you see that you had breaks, or maybe God brought you together as mates or whatever to be called. Maybe one was going to be called and help the other. How God works in each individual, He knows us. He knows our strong points. He knows our weaknesses. He understands those things. And we're learning that as well, that we all have weaknesses and we all have problems and we, began, we have begun to overlook some of those problems and, and trying to help each other in all those areas. Now, verse 15, 1 Peter 1. But as he who called you is holy, see, you also be holy in all of your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So wherever God is, there's holiness. See, there, His pureness is holy. So if God is with us all the time, we have to be holy. You see? If, that's, if He's with us, if he's, the Spirit is in us, and we have to be careful, you know, we have to be careful what we do and what we say and how we say, what we watch at times. Now, I'm no prude, don't get me wrong, but my life has changed since I've been out here. See, I don't have time for anything. <laughs> that's that's Rod McNair's fault, you see. But all television is gone, see, and I haven't missed that. And the only time you're on the computer is here, and I don't know how it operates, as some of the girls can tell you. <laughs> uh, 
But um, the life has changed at my age, at 58 years old. <laughs> oh, uh, see there, I'm, I'm holy ground now, right? But it's changed. And your life will change. If you have to move someplace or if you have to let something, you'll see that your life will change. It never, it's never the same. God's word is go, isn't it? Go. Be ready. Go. Be ready. Go. So we're always going. Now, when I was the pastor here for about five years, uh, I almost ruined everybody, but uh, I came back to finish the job. Those. <laughs> but we were, we were just built a house. First house we've had, we had since we were in the church, or married, and ministers and all. And so we built that Seven Lakes, and five months, we got a call from Calling Adair. said, would you go to the Philippines? I said, yeah. He said, well, ask your wife. I said, I don't have to ask her. So you go. We're in it together. See? And we went. And guess who replaced me here? Rod McNair. <laughs> I was kind of the four, I was like John the Baptist, I guess, you know, took all the flack. Then we came back from the Philippines. Then we came back from the Philippines, and guess who replaced me over there? Rod McNair. Now I come out here, and guess who I'm replacing? Rod McNair. <laughs> Rod and I get along well together. You know, I've known him. For a long time. I won't say how long, but for a long time. I've whipped him before. <laughs> I didn't tell I didn't tell Carla Dorothy that. <laughs> yeah, I got my licks in, I got back at his dad. <laughs> no, I didn't do that at, at all. But you see, this day then is a holy day, a special day for us. And that's why that it's so important that we understand that God is an Intelligent God. He deals with us in an intelligent way. Not through rabbits, squirrels, or maggots, or men, see, you know, where they worship. But in an intelligent way, God does. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs 9. Verse 9 says, Give instruction... To a wise man, and he will be still wiser. See, and the knowledge uh, and teach the just man, and he will increase see, in learning. And those are the two keys. A wise man. I know Doctor Winnell has talked a lot about the beginning of wisdom is the beginning, is the starting point of Christianity, is the starting point for everything. The fear of the eternal is the beginning, see, of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One, or the Holy Time, or the Holy Sabbath, or the Holy Feast, is understanding. So the more you keep that, the more you understand God's plan. Now, when I first started going to the feast, I had no idea. i just go down there, you know, you thought we'd eat and drink. <laughs> Stay up all night and sleep during the sermons and... I had no idea about in Jekyll Island. They all night long about singing. You know, everybody thought they could sing in those tents, so you couldn't sleep down there, but you could sleep in the sermons. <laughs> 
But I had no idea about what you... I was just going for a good time. See, that that was to me, was the feast. The ocean. See, that was a good time for me. Just the ocean was good. Not necessarily the feast, but the ocean. Man, I had a bad feast. I had bugs in my room. See? That everything's going to work out for you. Have you ever been in a perfect place? If you are, show me. No matter where you go, it's not going to be right. You'll have to have something to gripe about. (laughs) If it's right, you wouldn't have anything to gripe about. But see, it's, it's this fear, it's this holy time that we gain understanding as, uh, you know, as the Bible here points out to us. Now, in um, Exodus chapter 31, I'm about going over my 15 minutes now. Verse 13, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am, that I am the Lord who sanctified you or set you apart. And that's the only way, brethren, people know God, by keeping the holy time, that we may know and know that we know that we have been called by God, separated from this world, to receive instructions for Him, to learn how to be a priest, learn how to be a king, we have to have that knowledge, and we know we have. That's our job, is to learn how to do those things, and a, that we know who God is, and we are His witness to the world that we know God, that we don't apologize, as you hear on the telecast. All of you know, well, they speak with authority. When I heard Mr. Armstrong, he spoke with authority, like no other did. I knew that he knew what he was talking about because he didn't apologize for anything. He didn't apologize for the message. He preached. And, of course, he was not a love person in a way, except those, you know, God called. And and we are still reaping from his preaching. People are still, we ask people, yeah, I heard him when I was a little boy. I heard him when I was a little girl. He had a tremendous impact. On all of these nations, over in the Philippines, I'd ask the taxi cab driver, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard Mr. Armstrong, sure, sure. He had a tremendous impact by his preaching. There was no voice has ever been like Mr. Armstrong's voice. No one, because God used him in a greater way, and we understood that he knew that God was God. Now, was he perfect? No. But he knew God was God. And he preached that. Thus saith God. He didn't apologize, you know, at all for speaking for God. Now in Exodus 19, Moses was told by God to tell the children of Israel who they are. You know, I want you to know who you are. Verse 3, And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Israel and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will keep, if you indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, 
then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So they were to be a witness. They were to become a nation on this day with a constitution. And they were to be a witness to all nations that God is God. And that was his purpose for them to be that witness for him. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. But we know they did not fulfill that calling or that way. They forgot who God was. They forgot about his holy time. And they did not fulfill that mission. Now then, you see, brethren, as we read in Isaiah 40, and we begin to see then, maybe God has called us instead of Israel at that time. Now He's called us out of the world to be that light, to be a witness. In Isaiah 40, Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket and are counted as a small dust of the scales. Look, he lifted up the isles as a very little thing. So he's describing who he is. See? Now, if a nation is nothing in God's eyes, what do you think about a human being? If all the people in the na- if all Chinese are nothing in God's eyes, see, are a nation, now they think they're something. They believe there's something. They believe they're powerful. Then he goes on here and says, All nations before him are as nothing. They're counted by him less than nothing and worthless. Then he says, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him to? Can we compare God to anything that he's created? Can we bring him down to a picture on the wall? Bring him down there? Can we bring the God of all creation down to our size? That He's like a man, like me? He changes His mind. You can't trust Him? See, He is showing here what He is. In verse 21, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, And all his inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. Now, verse 25, To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things, who bring out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, Not one is missing. Now, just think about the mind of God. Now, used to, a minister and I used to go out on Friday evenings, and we'd just lie in the grass and look up when you could see the stars back then. And just just the magnificence of those stars and the twinkle of those stars and realize that God knows everyone by name. See? He knows every angel by name. He knows every human by name. It shows you how great He is and how powerful He is. He loves His creation. He knows all the birds by name. He knows everything. He is in complete control of His creation. 
Nothing in his creation controls him. He is in control. And the creation is subject to him. So when he came down to Mount Sinai, it started shaking. See, his creation began to shake because of the Creator. And when the Creator comes back in great power, the nations will shake. And they'll see who this God is. That He's not this long-haired, weak guy that, you know, that is being portrayed, but how powerful He is. And we can share in that power. We can share that with God forever and ever and ever. And that's what God offers us and understand. He never gets tired. He's never had a teacher to teach Him, you see. There is no other God, never has been another God besides Him. And He wanted apparently to share His life with the angels. He brought the angels in existence, powerful angels, and trained them apparently in His way of life. And then He brought in, created the earth and the universe. They were trained, but they didn't, you know, we don't understand Lucifer and what he did. But that's what we're being, we're being trained to be over even the angels, the great power they have. A little weak human being, nothing, nothing, you see, that God is going to elevate us to that power in that position. And we, be, we will be living his lifestyle. God's purpose is to create in us supreme character so we can become a supreme human being. I mean, a God being. See, it has to be there for us. Supreme character being created in us. We are His workmanship. He's working with us. As we heard Mr. Meredith say so many times, we feed on His Word. We feed on that. It gives us faith in something greater than the creation. As long as we look at the creation, it'll let you down. But you have to look at the Creator who's above the creation, who rules the creation, and He rules us because we're not part. We're a new creation, a brand new creation that's being created, spiritually speaking, that the world doesn't understand. We understand that, that we are a new creature. The former things, they are behind, Paul said. The former things, the way it used to be, the disappointments, you know, the voids is behind us. We are a new creature in Christ. And that's why we need to remember this day part of it. A new creation to be harvested at the resurrection when Jesus Christ, you know, comes to this earth. Now, notice Deuteronomy chapter 4. What could have been for Israel, but they didn't fulfill it. Verse 4, But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. You know, that generation. Surely I've taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to, uh, to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely 
this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So why don't you just substitute the word church instead of the nation? For what great church is there that has God so near to it? As the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon Him. And what great church is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed, pay attention to yourself. Now, do you know of any church has God so near that we've been taught statutes and judgments by Mr. Armstrong, that we're a law-abiding church, and we're learning the statutes and judgments that we might teach those later on. You know of any other group that Christ is so near? That's why I said, brethren, we're special. Special to God. Because we are special to Him. And He hears us when we, you know, when we call out to Him. So God raised up Mr. Armstrong then to tell us who we are. Our purpose, our purpose, you see. God revealed that to him for us, that we are now to warn the world. Now, what if he called us just to warn the Sardis church? That was our calling, to warn the Sardis church. Well, how long do you warn? You know, you warned it. We are to warn the world that there is coming a family. There is coming a group of people that you've been waiting for, that God has been waiting for for 6,000 years. And they're going to teach you the judgments and the statutes and the way of life. See, No more dictators. No more wars. There's going to be peace and happiness for all. Now, that will be a great time for all of us to see people happy and we've been, you know, part of it. So we understand, you know, the purpose as we have been taught. That is, the gospel must go out as a witness just like Israel of old had to be a witness to all those nations. And God gave them these statutes and judgments, but they didn't heed them. But we now are taking their place, going to all the nations in great power as the doors are open, as we heard in the sermonette, how far we have come since that time. As a witness, that's all, just a, as a witness that they may see I've never heard anything like that. See? Boy, that I like that person. I can't stand his religion. <laughs> Realizing that, you know, the religion is what makes the person. And people do like us. You ever notice in the store, someplace they'll stare at you? See? They'll just look at you. And you wonder why. But I think they see that we're different. We're different from somebody else. And what causes that is the wisdom. It causes our face to shine. See? It's the wisdom God has given to us. A great and understanding people. Ready to teach when the trumpet sounds. As the Apostle Paul said, I press toward the mark. He had to press toward that. That calling. High calling of God. And sometimes, you know, we tend to forget that if we're not careful. So in the first... Peter chapter 2. Verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's why we're called. The praises of God, to tell people who God is, what He is, how kind He is, that He's going to intervene for them later. As he, so we are a special called-out group selected for that purpose, learning how to be a king and a priest so we can fulfill that role when He comes. The quality of life that we're all learning. You know, I was telling people in Nashville, I said, what if you were to have the governor come to your house? How would you treat him? How would you act? See? So I don't know. I said, well, you never had that opportunity. But if you had that opportunity, it change your life. See? Okay, we've never been a priest or king, as we mentioned, but we're in training. So we have to have the knowledge to do it. And if we reject that knowledge, then God rejects us. There's no way we can do it without knowledge. See? And I think I mentioned this before. When I first started keeping the Sabbath, I had no knowledge of it. I had no understanding of it. Just I knew it was a Sabbath. And I shouldn't do any work. So I was afraid to take a bath. You see? And not only that, but I kept Saturday and Sunday just in case, you know. <laughs> but without a teacher, see, without a teacher to teach me how to do it, I wouldn't know how to do it. I'd do it my own way. So to be a, a king and a priest, we've got to have a teacher. If we ever reject the teacher, then who's going to teach us? See? How to do it. If we reject it, because that's the way Christ set up the church for us to be taught how to become like Him. See, and we learned that. Well, Mr. Armstrong had to learn. You see, he didn't know. As he obeyed God, God revealed more and more and more and more balance, more and more balance, more and more balance, and we were able to gain the balance. I think we're more balanced now than we were 25 years ago. You see. And, and so the balance is important. God's way is important that we learn to be balanced so we can teach that. We can't go over here and, you know, China, I'm over China, say, well, you can't wear that. Get rid of that. The other guy said, well, you can wear this. <laughs> it would create confusion. See? It would cause people to judge and understand that it's going to be the same. Christ, the same Yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And but we change. He doesn't change. We change to become more like Him and more balanced in everything, you know, everything He's given us to do. Now, Paul said, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things they have become new. So let's keep that in mind as we spend the rest of the day and we come back this afternoon. That old things have passed away and the day is a brand new day for us.